everybody and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises one movie in one episode at a time as always i'm your game master your master of ceremonies i'm just missing my really comfortable looking bathrobe your host mike snoonian and we have assembled i think what might be our largest crew ever for a show today i think this might be the biggest right here and joining us once again as she will be for hopefully every entry in the pod series we have like the i would say the resident expert in all things saw in this subgenre. we have from ghouls magazine ariel power shop ariel how are we i'm great thank you for that lovely intro uh, uh you know we want to talk the hooks up we want to talk everybody up you know? i accept if we have if we ever get to the point where it's like, ah, oh, this jerk again, here we have <laughs> this clown once again. Maybe it's time to disband yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, on again for the first time. It's been a little while. I think it might be since one of the Hell House movies. Um, but joining us once again from the Bodies of Horror podcast, which you can find on the Anatomy of a Scream network, we have the lovely Nicole Goble. Nicole, how are we? Hello, doing great. So happy to talk about Patient Advocate Extraordinaire, John Kramer. Yeah, we that's we need you on for part six. I think that's going to be like so in your wheelhouse when we get to that as well. So we should definitely have that. Nicole, <laughs> welcome back. It is always a pleasure. Glad to be here. Coming on again, I think he wanted to hype up the debut of his main man, Hoffman. We have the co-host of the Spectre Cinema Film Club, Sister Devon Taylor. Devon, how are we today? Hello, hello. Yes, if it's even if only for a minute, we we saw our man, uh, my man at least, uh, and and uh, our crew this morning. You know, just like uh, these movies, uh, the acolytes just like the keep on growing. Briefest of teases we had there with him, just the briefest, and we have. Just, just, just a, a little taste. taste. We have a special guest with us today. She is joining us for the first time ever on the pod and the pendulum. Uh, Lucy is a sex worker and a horror fan who hails from Australia. So we have not only gone across the pond, we've gone, we've crossed oceans of time, Mr. Gary Oldman, for our guest today. And while she might neither be a podcaster or a film journalist, she's an avid horror fan. And we put the call out for guests for our Saw podcast. She reached out and said... I would love to be a part of a couple episodes. What do you think? And since my attitude is to say, sure, why not? And she's also a patron of the show, so that definitely didn't hurt. We have Lucy. Lucy, how are we this morning? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. And listeners, if you also would like maybe a chance to be on the podcast, join the Patreon and this could be you, baby. Absolutely. Thank you. What better pitch than that and i say good morning and it is truly morning where lucy is she is up with us at 2 30 in the morning 
her time to talk about Saw Three. That is fucking devotion. <laughs> that is right an so, that is an Amanda level of dedication. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> as long as she doesn't shoot any of us in the back, I think we'll be all right. So we're going to kick things off with our kind of our, uh, the first time we watched this movie, our initial thoughts on it. And Lucy, as our guest, would you mind kicking things off? Like, what does the Saw franchise as a whole mean to you? Uh, the Saw franchise is um, pretty much my comfort horror franchise. A great time of a series I loved, one coming out every year pretty much until things started to until the wheels started to fall off but yeah i stuck with this franchise through thick and thin and yeah um i'm especially stoked that there was a chance to be on the um episode four three because it's the start of what i what's my personal favorite section of the franchise which is three four and five excellent excellent when was the first time you watched this entry was it in the theaters was oh yeah it home on dvd oh yeah it would have been at the theaters nicole you haven't been on in a bit so tell us a little bit about your um overall feelings on the franchise and then specifically like when you first saw part three and what it meant to you i love this franchise very very much um i love how gooey it gets how weird and strange uh, the twists and turns can get. I do get annoyed with the what fucking year are we in right now? And what does it mean? Um, kind of elements of it. But I really do love this franchise. I do think that each offering um, has something different to bring to the table. Kind of like a Final Destination franchise in which... They kind of strike different tones and they're kind of hitting on different little bits and pieces of things that then kind of come together. So um, I really love the franchise. I really love John Kramer as a character. I think he's really interesting. Um, and there's a couple of side characters that I find endlessly amusing. Uh, I have seen each and every Saw film in theaters. Um, I have a tradition. There's a theater nearby um, where I live that does uh, the original Saw every Halloween. Ooh. So I go and uh, see the original Saw, but I saw all of these in theaters. So... Yeah, so, I. So that theater near you is literally, if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. Like they are the living embodiment of that. They really are, and it's the it's the first one. Um, so it's it's cool. Um, like the first couple of years that I was here and they did that. Um, there were you know a handful of people. It's kind of empty theaters now, which I personally <laughs> like. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, so that's, that's kind of one of my Halloween time traditions is cool. to make a trip. So you had the third one in theaters and where do you feel like this one ranks for you amongst the series? I feel it ranks pretty high. Um, definitely within, I guess the top three. Uh, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about it 
but I feel like this is a I mean no saw film is perfect no film is perfect but I feel like this is such a wonderful stitch film that really brings together lots of different continuities that brings together lots of different kind of story arcs in interesting ways and with some continue in messier ways down the line so I I really think that this is kind of uh, transition films within kind of a franchise sequel set can be um, a little bit hard to to work with, but this mm-hmm. one actually I think nails the landing in knowing exactly what it wants to do mm-hmm. in setting forth characters and story arcs. So excellent, Devon. How about yourself? Oh, yeah. So this is, um, I mean, as of now, this is sitting at the top of my rankings. But uh, since we're doing full binge uh, rankings subject to change, we'll see how we're feeling at the end of the season. But um, uh, yeah, I love this one. This was, uh, uh, I didn't watch it for the first time until a few years ago, whenever I like did like my first like true saw binge. Um, And I was just, I was blown away. I was just like, this is it. Like, this is exactly you know what i love about the series uh not only in the style like with uh you know this is like we are turning up the green big time in this one the transitions like you know so it's like this is really like we are in the saw style now and uh and also with just uh the way it uh uses its music and this is also an interesting one because um, again, with my podcast, we go into like subgenres of horror, and I think that's always interesting in series. Uh, I think the best sequels um, uh, entries uh, are the ones where they like mix in a new subgenre in with it. So it's like you know we're still doing all the same saw stuff, but now we're in a medical drama, and that's amazing. I love that. Like uh, you know, like a saw movie with John getting brain surgery done on himself. Like that. Th- this is it. This is peak right here. Um, I, I really like it. it has a, a few of my favorite traps of the entire series. Um, but and this is the one that I think is emotionally weighted the most. Um, this kind of has a lot of emotional stakes for multiple characters. And this is the first one where I uh, this is one I actually think about because um, this one uh, challenges uh, John's uh, morality and ideals and, uh, you know, with Amanda even turning back in his face, like, you know, that was like the, the uh, you know, writers like already listening to the fan base of us, like, you know, talking about John contradicting himself. So it's like this one is where we're really like actually uh, putting that to the test. And and uh, this one actually feels like pe- this is actually John trying to teach mm-hmm. people lessons in this one. And I uh, and that is um, uh, maybe the most compelling uh, for me in this one. Um, uh, plus, we also got uh, we got Dr. Lynn, who I think is uh, one of the more underrated uh, characters in the series. I know we'll talk about her more, uh, but I think she's uh, such a great foil to John in this one and Amanda as well. And uh, yeah. just uh, the balance between um, the, the trial that we're seeing, the medical drama stuff we've got going on. And uh, the way yep. that it all uh, wraps up and, and, you know, this was potentially going to be an end, but then it yeah. also wasn't. It was like an end, but also a beginning to the next uh, chapter. And like, that's, uh, that's the way that these movies work. And I, I love that. So yeah, this, uh, this yeah. movie's a banger. You know, it's funny. You say he teaches lessons in this one. He's a lot like Fred Rogers. Like they both play with puppets. They both like to play games. <laughs> 
and they like to teach lessons, I can't. you know? I can't with this comparison. <laughs> I love it. So, I love it. Jigsaw is is uh, Mr. Rogers in, uh, in Mr. <laughs> Kramer's neighborhood. Uh, oh, my God. I, what I'm, if I'm, Saw like, City has a little, like, puppet neighborhood? Chain that runs through it. <laughs> it has a little monorail yeah. that runs through it. Um, you had Canon Saw City is Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Lock it in. That yep. Would be, yep. That would be amazing. Like Fred Rogers with a really dark side that you know we just didn't know about. That's our entry <laughs> to the Saw Wiki. <laughs> Saw City Geography, Mister Rogers. Neighbor. I think that will be the tagline of the show this week. We talk about how Jigsaw is like Fred Rogers. That'll that'll bring them in. Uh, Ariel, how about yourself? Yes, um, I agree with a lot of what's been said so far. This one is really emotionally impactful. I love Amanda. Um, I like I love her whole character arc. And so I get really excited to see her in this movie. I also love Dr. Denlin. Um, This is really the first time we see Amanda and John Kramer together. You know, we see them together, like, we know that they're working together previously, but this is where you really see them interact. Um, I got to see this at the theaters. I was blown away, as I always am, by the ending. And I was really left going, okay, where's it going to go next? Because Jigsaw's dead, Amanda's dead, everybody's dead. What could they possibly do next time? Um, Which we won't get into today, but it leaves you with a really exciting feeling especially now that we know how many movies there are yet to go. Yeah. Yeah. I distinctly yeah. remember in the cinema, like knowing at that point, they're not going to not make more of these movies that cost so little to make and make so much money. I think, well, he's literally dead at the end of this one. We saw it happen. H- how are they going to do another one? So. Without, spoiling what they do with part four going forward because i know we have listeners that are kind of like watching along as we do this which is really neat so without spoiling a nearly 15 year old movie um did anyone think they would go like the supernatural route that like jigsaw was going to come back as like a freddy type of figure or do they think it would stay or i've heard Others say, like, well, what if Jigsaw comes back in, like, the body of Billy the Puppet? Did anyone think something like that was going to happen? I mean, I'm, I never thought that Supernatural would be the route. Um, I think that would have been uh, a little odd. But I think, I mean, if they were going to do anything that would have been in line, it would have been, like, he had a robot <laughs> made. And he put his consciousness into a robot because he's an engineer. We know this. Uh, he's a prolific engineer. So um, that would be the thing. Or, like, him, like, a human-mech hybrid uh, jigsaw i think that could have been interesting and i think that wouldn't have been too like out of place for the series i feel like that like would have fit in but i think it, yeah if we're possessing billy uh billy the puppet i think that feels a little out of the realm but uh but uh give me a bio biomech so possessing billy the puppet out of like that would be couldn't buy that but mecha mecha godzilla jigsaw <laughs> yes. totally on board love it I- i'm with I you actually now want Makes that sense. as well <laughs> i think i'm with you on that as well <laughs> Um, so for myself, like I only watched this maybe about a month ago for the first time. Like it was right after we recorded the first episode of Saw. I went ahead and binged all of the series, uh, all of the series, starting with part one. And I think the first day I did like one through 
midway through six before kind of tapping out. And this was a great palate cleanser after part two. Like, I just really don't... Like, part two is why I did not watch any of the others until Jigsaw came out. And this was a huge step up. I will admit that the minute Donnie Wahlberg comes on screen, I like, oh, fucking come on. Like, th- I would like this guy. <laughs> and I'm going to say it. Like, I kind of hope, like, Bousman and Wano convinced... Wahlberg to go like full Brando full method when it came to the ankle breaking scene like told him to really go for it I said it I stand by it like did not need him he doesn't serve any purpose in this movie except to pad out the length like really you could have had a tight 90 minute movie if you cut everything with Donnie Wahlberg out everything in life is better with less Donnie Wahlberg in it other than that that, that's really my only real complaint. Everything. But they brought him back to make him suffer more. So, I mean, doesn't that make you I happy? I can't wait to mention a Wahlberg quote next week where I'm really oh going to get on my soapbox. I'm really going to. I'll show him that multi-millionaire <laughs> dude. He won't even know what hit him. Everything is bigger in this movie. The traps are way bigger. It's way gorier. It's way bloodier. Yet it's more personal. It is like more of an emotional story. And I think the better entries in the Saw franchise focus on smaller groups of people. It's not as sprawling as part two where there are a lot of people, but you don't know fuck all about them. And it's not that like... Jeff and Lynn are the most fully developed characters in the world, but you do get to know a little bit about them. And I think that makes for a much more interesting movie. Um, My only other thing is that I knew the ending of this movie going in, or at least I knew that Jigsaw was killed. And I kind of wish I didn't know that. Like not that it would have been a twist, but that would have been a great shock ending. It was a shock ending in the cinema. I was just like, I'm very excited to talk about yeah. it afterwards with my friends. <laughs> I could only imagine like what that would have been like being like, wait a minute, that is the Freddy, the Michael, the Jason of our series. And he's dead um, and definitively dead. Like they do not do not um, backtrack on that at all. And yeah, no sort of cutaway is the, as the nope. blade swings towards no. his throat. No eye winking at the end of it. No paramedics running in at the next part. So let's talk a little. However, with the with the power <laughs> of editing and a gray backwards hat, though, they'll, they'll convince you he's, yeah. he's back to life. Oh, this is Ron Kramer. This gives like Tobin <laughs> Bell like a handlebar mustache and a soul patch. And like his heretofore unseen twin brother ron and then you find out makes it's james wan it could have been a malignant style thing where like ron lived in the back of john kramer's head he was the tumor we honestly need to we shouldn't be saying these publicly we need to be pitching these ideas to lionsgate guys we need to edit this out we need to write these down we need to send them in we could definitely do this all right well, speaking of writing things down, Ariel, you have a number of great notes here on the making of this. So can we talk a little bit about how Saw 3 came together? Most definitely. So, again, it's directed by Darren Lynn Bousman, written by 1L and Juan. It's the last time they're really involved in the franchise, 1L and Juan. Um, they describe the plot as essentially a father-daughter 
love story between John and Amanda, which I know what they mean, but I don't like that description. It creeps me out a little bit and not in like a I didn't like it either. It, yeah, it takes on a whole different meaning when you look at some of our internet search histories for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. It was, you know, I've been saying on these episodes, the sequel was immediately greenlit. And that's true here again. But then they also really, really greenlit it with green lighting. So I think maybe they took that too literally for themselves. Um, I love the green lighting. It makes it, 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 it makes the blood pop because red and green are complementary colors. So it really it. makes the blood pop. There were so many horror movies in the, 2000, in the early 2000s that looked like that. Yep. Like, why because like, fucking <laughs> rocks <laughs> i blame them i blame the wachowski sisters and the matrix because that, is, that was like yeah. the first movie with that green tint in it so i'm blaming them i i'm actually looking green like that now currently because it's because i can only have sick. one light on because it's 2 30 in the morning here so. <laughs> i think it was also a shorthand way of being like this is gritty yeah, yeah. this is <laughs> intense yeah um because yeah i think like you said lucy there were a lot of films that were kind of using elements of this at that time and kind of in a way to set themselves aside as being you know not these really high polished um like remakes mm -hmm. that we were also getting yes. pumped through but you know the gritty hardcore stuff all my favorite stuff so it's a father-daughter love story. Wanell aimed to make this more emotional than the previous installment. Um, it's it, they they didn't they said they didn't intend to have a twist ending as distinctly as the previous films because they thought you know people are on to us now they're going to figure out the twist. Um, so they wanted to have an emotionally impactful ending. So I'm curious what you all think of this. Like, would you describe the ending as a twist? Do you think it... I mean, we talked a little bit about the emotional impact of this film, but, you know, if they didn't want to have a twist ending, what do you think of that? I mean, I think... I mean, I think it is. Um, I, again, I, I feel like it was a way to kind of, again, like still feel like it's capping off this tr first trilogy, but then also starting... Uh, something anew with like you know like aha he's still got he's got one more contingency plan like this is like how batman would be on his deathbed again uh like because he would just be like ah one more i got one more thing up my sleeve ah one more thing you batman know and so like, uh, it, it, <laughs> hey uh, yeah d d allegedly exactly yeah see they they are right on the same page never seen john and batman in the same place um but but yeah, no, I, I, I do feel like um, it, it feels in line to um, to where they kind of had the ability to like go either way. And it feels just like uh, they, they got to double down. Like, again, like this is with Winnell coming back like this one does feel a smidge self-aware um, with uh, kind of the reception of the first two. So, like, I feel like it was like, well, you guys want the twist? Okay, let's see, like, how far we can, like, truly twist this. And I think it, but I think it's not only just for, like, twist sake. I think it does work out, like, really well with the chain of events and the way that each character was interconnected uh, for this whole thing, you know? So, I, I feel like it felt very in line and just, like, it, it made sense. I would 
buy, well, I do buy there. We didn't want there to be a twist um, line in so far as I don't think they intended Lynn and Jeff being the married couple to be a twist. I think they intended, I think they prioritised the emotion of that storyline. But for the other things like, you know, the test being um, Amanda's in the end ultimately and John having one more game for Jeff at the end, I do think that was deliberately intended to be more like, how can we create a twist with this as we know now that we're going to be continuing? So a little bit of trying to lay the tracks before lay the track down before the train of the Saw franchise continuing on for the foreseeable future. I thought it was more shocking than like a twist, like more of a like out of left field, not only killing off like your lead villain, but also it's like killing Batman and Robin in the same <laughs> movie, <laughs> right? It'd be like that. And the it, to further the Batman comparison, if you're talking about for folks that remember like the Nightfall and Night's End comic storyline, like the Jean-Paul as Bats Batman, the one that they, when Bruce Wayne got crippled for a bit in the 90s, because that's something they did in 90s comics after <laughs> Superman died. They're like, let's kill all our characters for a bit and we'll inflate the market. They had a Batman that was a psychopath that like did kill people. That would be John Kramer if he had the mantle of the bat, but I found the ending like it was shocking. Like mm. definitely I forgot that Amanda died and I found that like really shocking. I'm like, Oh, what are, how are they going to continue this on from here? Cause I thought she was a much bigger part of the other movie. So, and I did find like, like you said, Lucy, like it's not a surprise that like Lynn and Jeff are married. Like they drop little reveals throughout it that make you feel like, okay, like something is going on here and these two are probably married to one another. Like that'll be the reveal. I think that with the character of John and the way that the, I think this does set up, I mean, in, in really thinking about like being in the theater. And I think when this film came out, there had been some discussion of like, this is a trilogy and we're not going to extend it or, um, there was some conversation about like this is going to be like a defining mark end in the story um you know i think the batman comparison is really um apt along with a lot of comic book characters because then it becomes legacy like what is the next phase of that character it isn't necessarily supernatural but it's who's going to carry on the work. And so that was kind of like my thought going in is like, what, what does John, like, how does John's work continue when something happens to him? Because I mean, the man starts out sick. Um, so we know that he's not kind of long for the world. Um, so what... So it's interesting to start to see into the kind of foundation of how he's building up his followers and training them, supporting them. And then three, we kind of get the full handbook um, with Amanda. So 
you know, very Batman and Robin kind of in that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Robin really fucked up um, and didn't follow protocol. Yeah. It's properly. the Jason Todd of Robins, basically. Or if Robin... For those that know that know. <laughs> yeah. That that is who I had in my uh, comparison. Uh, again, I, I made an actual tweet where I put all the proteges as the different Robins, and Amanda is unfortunately Jason Todd. She she uh, takes it. She takes the dedication a little too far, uh, and doesn't uh, completely understand the message. She doesn't understand the symbol and like what it all actually means. You know? I remember um, when I saw it, and John died, and we were talking afterwards about well, what now? What's the next one going to be? Because I'm pretty sure when the third one came out, I think they came out here a bit later than they did in the US and the UK. But it was I'm pretty sure I knew when I saw the third one that, yep, they were continuing. And um, I remember thinking, oh, okay, so he talks about Amanda being an apprentice. Does that mean there's other apprentices? But then not knowing to, what to do with that information. Access, you were clued in right away. Excellent. Well, it just felt like he was a very organized man and would have more than one egg in the carton, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I um, I have no idea what you all were talking about with the Batman stuff. So Neither Sorry, did I. No, just that's so you know. okay. <laughs> uh, don't kick me off the show, please. I want to be cool like you guys. Um, so this film, we should also mention, is dedicated to producer Greg Hoffman, who had passed away. Um, so they dedicated the film to him. As with the previous two films, the ending was only given to, like, the script pages with the ending was only given to the actors who appeared in the final scene at the time it was filmed. Um, it seems like they filmed multiple endings, all of which ended with Jigsaw dying, so, like, that was, uh, for sure a thing. Um, but they changed what Jeff killed him with. So I don't know what else the um, like the other implements that were used, but I like that they went with a circular saw. So I think one that I read was like the circular saw he holds up just the blade yeah. that he drops. Like that was one of them. The other thing I read too was like they wrote a lot of the script on the fly mm -hmm. and they literally wrote the last five minutes of the script on napkins minutes before filming like it was really chaotic i yeah i believe that um there's somewhere in my notes i have a comment about how they would like to tweak things a lot as they went so that feels very believable to me um devon did i cut you off Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that feels mm -hmm. very apt for the series. Uh, you know, a, a napkin writing twists uh, feels feels like it yeah, on, on par for this. But like at the same time, like it, it like it also like it, it still works, though. It, again, it's like it's not even um, it just, you know, for the, the sake of it being, you know, like a like kind of last minute thing. But like, um, it, you know, for for some reason, you know, everything was all all the pieces just always fall into place. Yep like the jigsaw puzzle that it is um so there's a 
a quote from Costas Mandelar, who has a t- small part in this film, and he plays Detective Hoffman, named after Greg Hoffman, the producer who had passed away. And the quote says, At some point, I was introduced to the director, and he asked if I wanted to come up and have some fun for a week on Saw 3. So I thought, why not? They're good guys and all that. We're going to have some fun. Being in the movie for a minute or two, I made the most of it and had fun with the guys. And the scene that he's in is um, when they're cleaning up the classroom trap. Um, and the police are talking about, well, you know, how could you get it? Why, how'd you get into this room? How could you get out of that room? So that's where Hoffman shows up in this movie. Um, I won't spoil anything, but he becomes a recurring character. So I thought that quote was pretty funny about like, I'll come have fun for a minute or two. And then like, we're going to continue to talk about Hoffman in the future. Yes. That's something that I think was really fun about the movies as they progressed was like seeing okay like which person with five lines in this scene might possibly be quite significant in the next one and i mm-hmm. don't know what and i don't know um whether or i can't remember seeing any stuff about like how, how many of the actors who had five lines in one movie got told at the time of their casting oh by the way just so you know you you might be in the next one as well or mm-hmm. whether they did this having no idea that they were going to be become franchise stalwarts yeah do you think oh i was just gonna say it's it's almost like a like mcu-esque <laughs> or even again fast and furious whenever it's just like oh yeah that person in the background it's like you know uh why didn't uh uh john's uh trash guy why didn't he get to become an apprentice you know he saw some some scraps in the in the dumpster was like this seems kind of interesting and then dun, 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 he's he's now a, an apprentice like uh, I, I, so yeah it's kind of funny because like i i knew that he was introduced in this one but then yeah i kind of forgot that it's a literally only one scene he has a few lines uh mm-hmm. with uh carrie and that's literally it and then so it's like it's mm-hmm. so yeah unassuming um and it and that's why it does you know work out with what they do in the movies uh down the line so yeah it's yeah, imagine out. sorry you first to imagine if that trash guy like accidentally mixed in some recyclables and then it's like mark i would like to play a game <laughs> you do not care about the environment but I care about your well-being. Today you have a chance no. to cleanse yourself, <laughs> etc. So the hospital these... doesn't say God bless you to someone as they sneeze. Do you think Danny Glover ever turned back up on set and is like, I'm ready, guys. I'm ready for my next part. Or they're like, no, Danny, we don't need you. And he would just kind of... They did ask Monica Potter, Monica Potter back from what mm-hmm. I've read. And she, and she said, was no, like, no, you. I'm good. Yeah. She's like, I'm good. Yeah, I saw that. And I wondered, like, to do what? Like, what would they have done? Like, I wonder what they were going to do with that character. Like, whether it would have just been a brief little thing or well, kill her if they off, did or... what they did with her in the first movie, it would be not much, would be my guess. Like, <sighs> waste her talent, basically, is what I would... That's would imagine. She was. Und- so, um, Mike, I think you put a note here about a, a quirk of Bowsman's directing and the transitions that are used. Just like a little directing thing Bowsman did, does is like he doesn't always use like traditional cuts from one scene to another. Like he did this in Saw 2. Like there's a transition when Detective Matthews like goes from his apartment to a crime scene. And that's literally a divider in the set where he like walks out of his apartment and then he's with detective Kerry and he's literally just walking from one part of the set to the other. That's mm-hmm. how they do that kind of wipe. And Bowsman does the same thing here a few times where 
there are literally, literally moments like when uh, Nina uh, Dina Meyer has to go from the first crime scene. Her char- her character is, is next seen in her apartment in the bathtub. Meyer is literally running to the tub, stripping off her clothes and getting in the tub while the camera is moving and transitioning to that set. And then there was another one I noticed with Lynn where it transitions from, uh, I think it was another crime scene or it transitions from, I think maybe it was uh, Detective Carey's apartment to like Dr. Lynn and her lover, where it's literally, you can just see, it's not a cut. It's just a camera panning to the next set. It's something that Bousman did a couple times in these movies. I just found interesting. It was a little bit different way of shooting it and just kind of gave it a bit more of a flair. They even did it with the sound too, because uh, there was like a transition that it went from Amanda to Jeff in the box and she like makes a sound and then as it's transitioning like he looks over like in the direction even though they're not in the I same did not room. pick that well, up they, in the same building but yeah so like even like the sound like bled into those like mm-hmm. kind of weird uh transitions yeah i love those little transitions that he does which are kind of a signature on his contributions to the saw franchise mm-hmm. i know that they're arguably a case of style over substance but i think they're cool and there's some neat ones coming up in the fourth one. Yeah. So um, there is an interesting scene that was cut that I was reading about. And it showed Jigsaw regretting his actions. Um, so Tobin Bell said, I'm glad they cut that scene. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. Does he start off with a model, then refine it? Yeah, he probably does. But there are certain things that are interesting and advance the story, and then there are other things that are basically sort of backstory and you don't really need to know. I agree. If that scene was shot, it's good that they cut it. I think it would really hurt the character of Jigsaw to see him, like... Or it just, it would be a really different thing for Jigsaw to do. And I think it would inform the character going forward if he, we saw him regret something. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. If, if we, if they had that, then how are we going to have the wonderful shot of John smiling before mm-hmm. his throat is slashed? You know, like that, like, no, that's, that's the yeah. John that we know and how he's going to go out. He's not mm-hmm. going out with regrets you kidding me like he he, he was, was so stoked happy to go out actually like he was he was excited uh and i'm i'm happy for him well and i think to add on to that it would be interesting only if parts of john's story were about the regrets and about like oh i need to do this better i failed here i didn't do this properly i didn't bring on the right people but he's not really like that. Even if he does fuck up, he's like, I'm going to keep it moving because people must die. And that's my angle. And as long as I feel the right people die, then I win and we're good. So I, yeah, I think that that's, I, I think that that quote is exactly right. That if it was somehow peppering in a nuance to the character that would then be played out further great then yeah i think we do kind of need that scene to kind of oil the gears but otherwise it's just kind of junk 
I think that's fascinating what you said there, like how it's like, well, even if I pick the wrong people, and I think we'll probably touch on that here a little bit, and then a lot more in six, because John never stops testing anybody. Like, he is the... If he was your, like, middle school science teacher, you'd hate him, because every day he'd be like, pop quiz, motherfuckers, except you wouldn't even know you were taking a pop quiz, like... You know, it would just be. I think he I've just had nightmares like that, where you have to Probably. take a test you didn't study for. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly it. That's who John is. Because like Amanda has no idea that she's playing a game, and she's like a part of this. You're right. Like it's a shock to everybody. And by the time he tells her you're part of a game, she's got a bullet in her neck. Like that seems a bit unfair. That's like playing Monopoly and giving everybody $5 and one person gets like all the properties and 10 grand. Like you got a head start there. John, unfair? Yeah. Shocking. Good point. Yeah, he doesn't, you're right. You're right. I am getting a little wound up here. Sorry about that. Um, speaking of which, um, can I just, uh, are we allowed to spoil for future movies or just keep it vague? If We're trying to keep it vague just okay. for folks that are watching. It. Okay. Um, yeah, just I'll keep it vague then. But my but one of my big sort of takeaways, first time I saw this and every time I see it, is putting Jeff through the ringer for not getting over a bereavement quickly enough is a bit fucking rich, John. But mm-hmm. yes, which is one of the things, yeah. which, which has always been one of the things that has always been yep. like, we're not supposed to be on John's side, <laughs> edgelords who are like, oh, he doesn't like, you know, he, he's like, he's just teaching people. Yeah, sorry, just wanted exactly. to get but that off my that chest. But isn't that something that a lot of these characters like John end up doing? Mm-hmm. They end up finding like their own version of themselves to like run through the ringer um because i think there's kind of some catharsis in that and i think that i think helps you know add to an emotionality Mm. of three which i fucking hate (laughs) and i hate them um but i but i I told, like, Jeff makes every bit of sense to, like, really just fuck with him. Because, A, he's awful. But, B, um, I think that, you know, again, it's not about regrets. So, I don't have to feel regrets. I can have this person that's probably feeling them, and I can kind of project, like, a motherfucking movie screen. And... I'll save it for when we talk about the movie, my feelings on Jeff, but I definitely feel attacked right now. So, uh, <laughs> Ariel, press on. Sure, yeah, we have a little <laughs> bit more background to get through. Um, so, this film was completely shot on a soundstage in Toronto over 28 days. So, you know, doing better than they did in the first movie with like 15 minutes to shoot it. Um, because the soundstage for the original bathroom from the first movie had been torn down, they used the set for Scary Movie 4, which had spoofed the Saw movies. They used that bathroom set for Saw 3, which I think, isn't that fun? That's That's incredible. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you know, why not help (laughs) each other out? I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and because it was the first time that... 
Shawnee Smith and Tobin Bell really worked together. I was watching some special features on my Saw 3 DVD and there's this um, section about Amanda and a lot of interviews with Shawnee Smith. And so she said one of the things that they did was they just hung out a lot and spent a lot of time together and just like walked around Toronto and got coffee and chatted and got to know each other because they wanted to appear close when they were on screen together. So whatever mm-hmm. they did, I think it really worked. She didn't say like, and we murdered some homeless people, you know, to bond. She didn't, like, that didn't say slip. that, okay. but you know, it was heavily implied. Okay. <laughs> so the movie was originally rated NC-17 for gratuitous nudity and gore, which is our favorite kind of nudity and gore. Yes. Um, it took. Seven... I won't say that. I wrote that line. Don't <laughs> attribute that to Ariel listeners. I'm on board. I'm on board. Okay. I'm with fair you. enough. So as as a podcast, that is our favorite kind. Um, so it needed seven resubmissions before it got an R rating. You know, this is a period in time where the MPAA is really going after movies. I mean, not that they ever not, but like they were really going after stuff hard. And um, uh, that's why a lot of stuff gets kind of put onto the DVDs and just called special features because they had to cut so much for the MPAA at the time. So um, especially the rack trap was considered really rough for the ratings board with all the snapping and the pulling of the limbs. So Bousman turned to friend of the pod, Rob Zombie, to help edit and trim um, the scenes back. Zombie had experienced his own battles with the ratings board before over House of a Thousand Corpses. And so he was able to give some advice about, like, here's some things you can do to make it work. Which I think is a beautiful... Like yeah. I love that collab. I love that. I I really like Rob Zombie. He just seems like a very chill, down to earth. Like every interview you see, he seems pretty relaxed. Mm-hmm. So I really like him. Yeah, that's a fun like. Just like ah man, I get it. Mm-hmm. Let me like let me help you out. Like yeah, like you know like you know mm-hmm. the, the camaraderie. I love that. There's like a support group for people who the MPAA is attacking. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to say, fourth graders love Dragula. You throw that on at lunch, and that cafeteria gets bopping. It's awesome. That and Fugazi's waiting room. Kids will dance. Okay. I mean, that sounds kind of fun. I feel like it is. I would have in fourth grade as well. Yeah. Um, so there was always a charity drive that went along with these movies, which we hadn't mentioned yet, but it's good to mention. It was called Give Till It Hurts, and it was for giving blood to the Red Cross. Um, so they continued on this film, and this is kind of gross to me, but this time, because, okay, so uh, sidebar, I'm like really afraid of blood in real life. Like I'm extremely phobic of blood. So this this fact I'm about to tell you really freaks me out. Like, grossly. Um, So, Lionsgate, the head of theatrical marketing, Tim Palin, had an idea to sell a thousand posters that had a trace amount of Tobin Bell's blood mixed into the ink for $20 each, and all the proceeds went to the Red Cross. So. I think when they, when he suggested it, like, the marketing team was like, we, or the artist, like, we could do it, but, like, why and he's like no we should definitely do this guys like this is a great idea like that is messed up i mean that's it's so it's so yeah. 2000s and uh and this is uh so apt because uh they just announced that the blood yeah. drive's coming back 
for 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 Saw Ten. So uh, so yeah, uh, get get ready for that. But uh, and also an interesting point, I um I help a friend uh, run like a like little mini uh music and arts festival. Very cool. And one year, and one year we had an artist that um one of his things was like he painted with his blood that was like his like whole thing he like mixed it in with like paint and like made these like whole mm. whole things and it was uh it, it was wild it was, it was wild to hear his whole kind of process behind yeah it. yeah you know i hope he has access to good yeah. mental health care and I if so like sounds like it was a great way to raise funds for the red cross because people would absolutely buy those you know, if this artist I bought one, <laughs> did you really? No, I said I hey, would have. What I'm saying is, there's a market. <laughs> yes, there's a market. there's a market for sure. And if you can make your money, then by all means. But I am super freaked out by that idea. So, question I, for every. Sorry to call you first. I actually think it's kind of brilliant, and I do think it is very in keeping with a sub theme of Saw about healthcare and caring and genuinely wanting to help other people um john says he does he fails i think in in i think a lot of ways with that but i think that this is very much in keeping with it like you know help the person next to you by shedding a little bit of yourself that you can replenish easily because how many of these traps are about like you know give give x and they overthink it and think they have to like chop off a limb when it's just like poke yourself and bleed for a few drops here so i i actually think it's a brilliant marketing thing and i'm really glad that is back because it's something so mm-hmm. so so needed as someone who gets regular um blood products mm-hmm. i'd agree nicole the only question i have is when lionsgate head of theatrical marketing tim palin made this suggestion if he was wearing an avenge sevenfold or a disturbed t-shirt Oh, that had to be Avenged Sevenfold, right? Okay. I think. I think that's much more the vibe of an Avenged Sevenfold fan. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. For sure. Uh, uh, Disturbed isn't as, uh, isn't, this movie isn't, like, Disturbed isn't fun like this series is. Definitely. I would agree. I'm just saying, you're not making that comparison in a Get Up Kids t-shirt. It's all I'm saying. Okay. Sorry. Once again, sorry to undercut my own show. <laughs> no, I think it's important that we jab at new metal wherever possible. I think we need to Absolutely. all suffer for, for... We all need to pay for, for what we did in the 2000s. Um, Nicole, you can't see this. Nicole is shaking her head. I don't know if it's disgust or disappointment right now. I have a Buck Cherry poster. <laughs> Isn't Buck Cherry more fun? Like, Buck Cherry's not new metal, are they? They were, I would say that they were, they were know. kind of like that. They're butt rock, right? Transitioning in from, like, the new metal to kind of like uh, that hybrid of pop punk glam yeah. rock but definitely i think 
high new metal okay influenced yeah definitely okay. influenced by new metal but um okay more in the line of um oh i can't remember the band that did lips of an angel starts with an h i think that's gonna bug me listeners are yelling at their phones but anyway in the vibe of that band We'll Google um, it you later. guys, this has been a fascinating peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I just want you to right. know. <laughs> uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the track list for the soundtrack for Saw Three, uh, and all of the bands that we have mentioned. Uh, <laughs> no Buck Cherry, but 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 we do we do have Avenged Sevenfold. We do got Disturbed. We have one of my personal favorites, Static X, in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Bullet for my Valentine. I mean, this is a. I mean, th- mm-hmm. this is it right here. Like a new metal classic soundtrack. Uh, Saw three. Is this Scott. peak new metal or the dying gasp of new metal? I was okay. Dying gasp. This is this it's is on, on the, the way, way out, out, baby. But we're 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 but we're okay. holding on. That's what this one was. That band was called Hinder. Hinder. By the way. See, Lips of an angel by Hinder. I knew Hinder. it started with an H. I was like hybrid. No <laughs> hybrid. No. Like when your brain gets stuck, you know? And I think this would be one of the last soundtracks that really has like that heavy of a concentration because, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the last gasp because I think it started with kind of the, I don't want to say downturn, but the switch away from like grunge and that kind of alt. You get a little bit of like the garage rock mm-hmm. then into um the new metal so yeah it is interesting that there's still kind of even though i don't think that the music is as heavily concentrated there's still like this is very much a a franchise that through and through still sticks to that i think that kind of energy no it's definitely a it's symbiotic like that relationship like they go hand in hand like the aesthetic of this movie the tone of this movie it goes very much hand in hand with like the music of its time like it you know it would feel it feels like a very perfect match for to have like these kind of bands take part in it so i can't it's twisted metal it's twisted metal very good point yes so um it opened on October 26 in 2006. It made oh 33 million ish in its first weekend and just over 80 million total in US and Canada and another almost 85 million internationally for a total just shy 165 million, making it the most successful of the series to date on a budget of only 10 million. So, once again, this franchise is printing money. Um, It was released on DVD and Blu-ray on January 7th, selling 1.6 million units on day one and 2.5 million in the first week. So prior to Saw 4's release in October of 2007, a two-hour director's cut is released on home video of Saw 3. So I thought that I had this. But I don't think that I do own it. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I have seen it, though in my head I think I have. Has anyone else seen it? I so, have not. Yeah. I'm I think I have, but I don't the like in looking at what these scenes are, because I have some 
version of it, and I've watched, and it has, like, I don't know. It's labeled very poorly. But I don't know if it is... Um, because in talking about the scenes that are added in the director's cut, I don't know if these are the ones that are in the version that I have mostly watched. It's just kind of confusing. You can usually tell mm -hmm. by the runtime, I think. So before yes. we started recording, I was looking up the different versions and their different runtimes. And there's a website that I use where you can look up the differences between different versions of movies. And... I don't think that the two-hour version is that much different. Like, it's got yeah. a little bit more here and there of, of certain scenes in it. So I'm definitely going to buy it because I am a I have to sit upon my hoard of Saw movies. But, like, I'm, it doesn't seem like you're missing anything if you haven't seen it. Definitely tell me if I'm wrong, listeners. Um, it, it sounds I've... like the... Oh, sorry, Lucy. I'm pretty sure I've seen it because I distinctly remember a version that starts with Amanda and flashbacky dream maybe stuff to do with the first movie and that being the first scene so which is apparently the this director's cut but I saw it at someone's house and I the, the copy that I have is the uncut version which I think is the middle length one that's already better than starting with Donnie Wahlberg. Like, already, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I think the version then that I've kind of gone to by default may be like an extended yeah. cut. Mm. That isn't that, but, yeah. yeah. There's a, a different ending as well. I mean, it's the same idea, like Jigsaw still dies, and it's he still dies with the same circular blade, but I think... And you get that flashback where everything cuts together from the three movies. But he listens to the tape while sitting next to his wife's corpse. Like, I'm going to get you out of here. Like, he's gone out of his mind, basically. Yeah. And that's when he hears the tape as opposed to over the uh, montage, which I think it's better in the theatrical. Like, that's a better way to cut everything together honestly i watched that ending and i'm like this actually feels really flat yeah um that uh that was the ending of the one that i saw that started with amanda yeah. and saw one so that must be the director's cut must be the director's yeah. cut so all right this is a time period too where there are so many different versions of movies that came out in this time period because <laughs> there were all different kinds of chopped up versions based on mpaa and based on like distribution in different parts of the world and so like as the advent of streaming happened you're not always sure which version of the movie you're watching um that happens a ton with movies that came out in the 2000s so it's always kind yeah, of an adventure and, yeah and i think it's important like we often think about like director's cuts and extended cuts as kind of being like it but this is also a period where you're getting like gore cuts where these aren't scenes like, these are not, like, moments in a film to, like, bring some story element in to play or play out, like, some character's arc or whatever. This is just, like, hey, we're going to show you six extra needles uh, going into someone's flesh right here. And that's it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is a really confusing time to like sift through the 
and I mean, obviously, this is really, I think, part and parcel with franchises like Saul, that that's kind of like the bread and butter mm. um, is that. But it's, yeah, because someone had asked me about, um, I think they were going to get like the Saul Legacy set. And they're like, oh, you know, are, what versions are like the best ones to like stick to? I'm like, I don't, like, what do you want? Like, do you want heads exploding? Do you want, you know, soft, gentle canoodling between characters? I don't know. Like, why not both? But yeah, it's like, mm. it's fucking soft. Like, but yeah, these, these aren't like the director's cuts where they are like kind of really changing like narratives and stuff. Like you said, it's like mainly MPAA cuts yep. and things like that. And uh, I, I did just uh, look through, uh, but even uh, the theatrical cut of this one is uh, the is. longest of the series. Yeah. yeah, It's a cottage industry. I mean, really, it's capitalism and it's like purest form in that you could release three versions of the same movie and at a time when physical media, like, this is really like deep Blu-ray was just introduced. Uh, I think it had taken over like HD DVD at that point was, there was like a format war at the time, like early on, I was like, well, what are we going to do? HD DVD or Blu-ray and Blu-ray won out. People were, should I upgrade for my DVDs? Like, should I take my saw one and saw two DVD and actually upgrade to Blu-ray? Will the blue green tint be that much crisper on my HD tv at that point but you could release so many versions because people would buy them Mm -hmm. they'd be like i need to have and all of them and this is when dvds weren't and blu-rays weren't inexpensive they were still 15 to 30 bucks for a new Mm blu-ray at the time so you sell two and a half million copies of that in the first week you've made more money in that first week than you did theatrically in that first weekend and almost as much as you did the whole run like it's not a a, not chump change yeah and that's how that's how uh jason blum uh, got everybody Mm -hmm. with a megan recently like not gonna lie that was that that was dirty he he, he did a little gotcha with for like 90 extra Mm -hmm. seconds of footage like yeah so and you know blum blumhouse like their blu-rays like notoriously underpacked like no, no special features whatsoever. at all uh, trailer special feature trailer right like sorry i can watch this on youtube for free <laughs> i mean yeah i'm gonna buy them come on but <laughs> that's always been silly who goes on to the movie the dvd that they're watching to watch the trailer i don't know <laughs> we just made one of our listeners really sad they're like i i do <laughs> I mean, they feel. I mean, I guess maybe if you didn't have time and you're just like, I'm really in the mood. But I could see it like if you're having a movie night and this is the first time that people are watching it. Oh, and okay. That's you. A good point. You want to give them the full experience. I mean, I get it, but yeah, it's. But I do, you know, like you said, you can find a lot of special features now. They're just going to be ripped and put on YouTube or mm. online somewhere. So to i yeah like it is unfortunate because i think we all have experiences with these really jam-packed um discs that just have like the world on them but i you know at this i i kind of understand like what 
you know, is it, if this is just going to be out on the internet, why not just put it out there mm -hmm. on your channel in a way that you can have some control and sell your uh, Blu-ray for, you know, a few dollars cheaper? I really think Jason Bader Blum might get to... taken away one day, and it's nice to have it. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, that's just my. N yeah. No, I'm with you. <laughs> our our friends at Kill by Kill wanted to do Hush by mm -hmm. um, Flanagan for their show, and they're like, "Oh, it's been pulled from Netflix, and there's no physical release of it." Yeah, it's like, pretty rough. Great. That's wasn't there a rough. wasn't there a physical release of Hush? Oh, nope. okay. I didn't know that. No. The... Okay. Down with Netflix. Should we talk some traps? Yeah, we. Can, I was going to ask Mike. Do you want to talk traps separately, or do you want to work them into the movie discussion? Let's. I think because the traps are so intricate to the movie, that's really what people come for. Mm -hmm. Like it's the straw, straw that stirs a drink. It's why people are coming <laughs> to this. I think we should maybe like let's. We did that separate for Saw too, so let's keep that going. Okay. I like how that set up. Okay. So there's a ton of iconic traps in this movie. Um, so I'm curious, like, who has a favorite one that they want to start with? I mean, this has my favorite trap of the whole series. I mean, it has two of my favorite traps of the series. But, uh, I mean, uh, the the rack is, I mean, we already kind of mentioned, like, that was kind of some of the stuff for uh, the, the ratings and whatnot. And, I mean, one, this gives me one of my favorite John line readings when he goes, this is a personal favorite. I call this one the rack. And it's hilarious because he doesn't name a lot of his traps. Uh, so the fact that he did actually name this one himself uh, has a special place for him. But, like, it's it looks just really mean. It's painful. It's, like, very, like, slow and methodical. Um, and everything about it mm. just like sucks and like it's it's in it like every time I watch it like I, I've seen this a few times now and like I still like like wince the whole time because I mean it, it really takes its time with it and it's just this like giant you know hard metal like just contraption and like you you really feel like the tangibility like in this movie this is where you really start to appreciate like the the effects and uh behind you know constructing these traps because these are these are like like gorgeous sculptures in a way uh you know for for in a in a horror way i guess and and this one i mean it just like the look of it and it's kind of the same thing with the angel trap too it's the most like visually striking trap of the series maybe and it's and it's a uh, it's gorgeous you know gorgeous yeah. death for a gorgeous woman um, but like these things, like they, they like, this is like where I really just started appreciating like, uh, you know, John's, John's engineering prowess, like the, the man is good. Yeah. I think, um, definitely, definitely the rack is my favorite trap of, uh, this film. And I think it's also the needle trap of this movie where it's the one where you can relate on a level of you've, you've like, you know, twisted your wrist or done your ankle or even just had a Chinese burn. So, you know, to a certain extent what the base of this feel was like and that's sort of I think what gets you sort of squirming around and sympathizing as you watch it and also the actor just absolutely sold it like he was fantastic the yeah, yeah. oh yeah it just look like the the detail in the special effects are great here too because it's not just the trap but you get because sometimes with the traps, you don't really necessarily get a good look at the after effects mm -hmm. and what they're actually doing. And here you see bone and tendon, tendon and everything just like 
twisted up. It is hard to look at yeah. and also the sound effects of yeah. it too like the kind of grinding and like breaking apart of the bone is uh really disturbing to hear so it is definitely the set piece of the movie i would say like the most iconic trap of the whole series is the reverse bear trap like that is yeah. the that's why you know like i think ariel you have that as a little dvd tchotchke um but the best trap of the series has got to be that reverse bear that uh that rack it's just harsh my favorite is the ice room or Mm -hmm. the ice bath there's something well and i guess it, it does kind of speak to the kind of plot of this film and the way that it's structured and we follow one character through all of these traps, which I think is a fairly unique thing to the franchise. But there's something so devastating about the ice room. And Jeff really just trying to find any bucks to give about this woman as she is freezing. And it's so bizarre because later Amanda is getting all weepy with John saying, oh, she tried, like, uh, Jeff tried to save her. No, he didn't. He literally did zero things. Like, is that a director's cut? (laughs) Because didn't see it. Um, No, he just kind of fucking him and Hod while she was getting doused and I there's just like this pain on her face that it very similar to the rack too I think the rack is exceptional um truly but there's just something really personal and intimate and you're choosing each moment that I am in pain to just sit there and watch me be in pain and all i did was be you know i i fell to bystander effect she did watch a kid yeah, die i mean she did watch his kid bleed out after getting hit by a car each one is like very yeah. on the nose because it's like, yeah, he he has to watch. It, like he sits and does nothing because she sat and did nothing. Like he like called yeah. it out. Like, uh, like that's why you're here. Like, uh, uh, hate Jeff, but some of his line readings are kind of funny. And like that one way, he's like, well, that's the reason you're here. Like, uh, is is kind of funny to me. But uh, and you know, like yeah, I guess it's. Uh, each time we're kind of watching this it's it's tough you know especially if like we don't have a you know kid that we haven't lost before and like you know imagining like that type of pain but also at the same time uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these ones are you know very uh harsh but jeff definitely could have like really you know helped solved each one of them like all of them like they like you know he could have even thrown his uh bathrobe on her so that way like you know to like shield it uh, which uh, this is uh, the first nudity of uh, the series, uh, three films in, uh, which I found interesting. But uh, and it, and it's not sexual or anything. It, like you know, it's for it makes sense. But uh, but yeah, it, it, he definitely could have like easily like saved her and like you know it does. I I, I think it sets up 
uh, nicely this uh obvious the obvious like kind of journey that jeff is like kind of going on of like kind of learning to forgive and like this one too also has each victim like you know like the fact that they like are able to like speak to him and like plead with him you know throughout these circumstances adds another layer as well like you know she's sitting there saying like hey i'm human i made a mistake and like you know each person like kind of you know is you know trying to talk jeff you know into it and like you know trying to have him work through it and like and that's a interesting thing when you're dealing with this like kind of unimaginable pain and then you have all these people like you know telling you you know all these things uh it's kind of fascinating you know but i you know agree that you know you know the i agree with the lesson that jeff is kind of being taught here um for sure um so it's like you know his his actions it's it's definitely easy to 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 hate on him for sure but then it's also like you know like that's and unless you've had that circumstance like we don't know that pain you know so it is i think the nice like kind of moral dilemma in but this what film. do you think about like he's very pun intended cold to her and i understand like this is like he this this is fairly early in his path i think she's the second no third kill the first one well she's the third he's kill the of the film he's the first one he's she she is the first one he witnesses yes um yeah so i think that obviously this is a shock and he's also dealing with i have to understand like the situation that i'm in um because it's not making sense so but i'm interested to kind of his i'm gonna get the lesson you did nothing so i do nothing then we get to the rack with the guy who by all intents and purposes was the reason for the death of his son so he i think has a much more i think impassioned and slightly quicker um response to be like maybe i should help this person maybe i should intervene there's something in me that's saying i need to not let this happen i hate this man i've wanted to watch him die but i don't but this isn't right so i'm wondering like what that what you guys kind of make of that journey so the first thing i'll say is like so i've worked with persons that have lost children and as a parent there is no greater loss and i don't mean that in a trite or not that saw three is like this super deep movie and to be quite honest like using like a dead kid is kind of like shorthand for emotion. Like they, it's kind of shorthand for emotions here. It's like, what's the easiest thing we can do to show someone is really grieving? But I can say that like working with parents who have lost children, they will tell you like, yeah, that I'd, I'd rather it be me in that box. And it takes, it does take years to get through that. So he's very obviously grieving even with like his poor, very cute daughter. And it's easy to hate him right away just because you see how he treats her. Like it's, it's awful. Like it's really awful how cold he is to her. Um, 
So many crap dads in the Soul franchise. Oh, there are a lot of bad dads. Like, you could call this, yeah, it's punishment for, if you're a cop or a bad dad, <laughs> you're screwed. You're on the Which list. Is, you know, why oh, Detective oh. Matthews is just a literal punching bag uh, every time he appears. Because he's both on the bingo card. Um, he is quicker to move as he progresses through the puzzles or the games, because now he's seen someone die. Like it's one thing to have that person in front of you and watch them die in theory. Like what would I do if I had this person in front of me? And that's a great mental exercise. It's another thing to have to actually experience watching another person die because of your own inertia, basically. That's and, so, that's so interesting. You know, yeah. Every now and then I say something relatively intelligent once a week. That's it for the week. So um, it's fascinating too, because like her puzzle, like her game, it's the easiest of them. Like he gets a razor burn, basically. Like he has to just get like a little scratchy on his face to get the key. Um I think the second one would be the hardest one. The And it's the cruelest of the three. Like all of your keepsakes, all of your mementos, all of your pictures of your dead son, you have to burn and give away. And given what we find out, like Lucy, to your point, given what we learn in later entries, it's especially cruel. So you have to, to incinerate all of these memories to move on. It's heartbreaking. And yet he's able to do it with some. It's gut-wrenching and he's able able to do it. And then to f- confront the person who is responsible for your sunset. I'm not going to say murdered. It was an accident. I think they say drunk driving at one point, mm-hmm. but the evidence you see on screen doesn't suggest that. So I think that that's... No, I don't even think they ever no, say I, it was drunk. No, I don't. They, they, do say they, they do. They just say... They do did say I? It. Well, yeah. in the version they I saw, do they do. They just said here, the theatrical version. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think the evidence suggests. Yeah, they were just like, they were just like, oh, he was a medical mm-hmm. student yeah. and he made a mistake. Or it like, seemed like yeah, a, it was just like, a, I haven't seen it that a way. Mistake. Um, I will say, I don't think Jeff tries especially hard to move quickly. Jeff isn't especially bright. Um, you know, if, if Jigsaw were to say, like, to Lynn in her game, like, Lynn, uh, you married poorly. You married way below your weight class. You need to make make a choice. You know, that would be understandable. Um, One thing I will say for Jeff slash Angus McFadden was it was nice to have a someone doing a good job at being an American in their mm-hmm. acting and their accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just every time I watch the first one, it's like, Carrie Ellis, I'm like, I know you can do an American accent. Like, what's <laughs> what's happening yeah. in this movie? Yeah. Can, can he, though? I think he can. I'm can pretty he? sure I've seen something else where he was okay, but it was a smaller role. So <laughs> He it just let him do accents. Like, people marry persons from people emigrate here all the time, and... We, I married a foreigner. I married someone with an accent. It's okay to have an accent. We will, we'll watch the movies. You know, I don't understand this. Like you have to have an accent. 
thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, um, for um, example, I'm sorry, this is off topic, so edit this okay. out. I'm just curious, but I mean, talk to me. Like, did it distract you that it was set in Australia and everyone was Australian? Because I remember no. they were, because I remember there was pressure on them to make it, like, to sort of Americanize no. it. Not even a little bit, like, mm -mm. not even for half a second. So it's just bizarre to me that that's something that, like, we still have to, like, fight with all the time. So Jeff, like, if he, he would be much more fascinating if he wasn't a schlub. And as a schlub, as someone who's, like, <laughs> chunky and sweaty and doesn't dress that great, I feel attacked by seeing Jeff on screen. Um, if he was, like, it just, he's very hard to root for just how he's presented. He just, he looks like he smells like beef and cheese. <laughs> Oh no! I mean, he—I mean, he was drunk before his kid <laughs> is going to school. I thought that was very funny because you like think it's a nighttime scene, and then she's like, yeah. "Okay, I'm gonna go get ready for school." And I was like, "Oh wait, what?" <laughs> like he is trashed at like yeah. seven. He's sitting on a gun, <laughs> sitting on it. <laughs> so, um, I want to mention the pig vat trap because it is—it uh, is the the one saw trap that i won't watch i can't watch it is too gross really it is too gross for me mm -hmm. um so obviously this is the one where the uh judge is like changed to the bottom of a pool what is the purpose of all this equipment like it's an abattoir it's an where abattoir. are they but why oh, make a so slurry i guess maybe for chicken nuggets or something so they have all yeah. these pigs coming in and, and getting yeah. slaughtered. And, and so the judge is going to drown in rotted pig carcass slurry. And the thought of that makes me feel mm. very grossed out. Mm -hmm. um, so I cannot watch it. I think it's great. They had... When he vomits up the pig guts, like that is like a step too far. It's a lot for me. I can't... Things like gross things going into the mouth is mm -hmm. is hard to watch. Um, Revol Revulsion-based horror can be very effective yeah. as yeah. well as just pure gore or yeah. physical yeah. pain. Like I I'd rather watch The Rack. So mm -hmm. about the props, um, they had to really rush filming this scene because there were so many moving parts, but it ends up looking really good. The pig carcasses were made out of foam rubber and latex, so fake fake pigs. But they had live disinfected maggots attached with honey. And I have questions about that. Number one, how do you disinfect a maggot? Number two, why is it live? Number three, why honey? <laughs> Like, I, <laughs> so just like, okay, we got fake pigs, live maggots, and actual food. Too gross for me. That means it would have been a maggot wrangler on set, which mm -hmm. I sort of find a pleasing job title. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great uh, thing to see in the credits for sure. And uh, the, this scene, this scene is important for our um, visual of uh, visual map of Saw City. Um, okay, because so this is in a building separate from the events of uh, the first two movies, uh, the the murder house that has the the giant bathroom underneath. Okay, so that's separate because now we're at we're at Saw HQ here. 
and uh, you know we're at Saw HQ because John can't leave; he's bedridden. Um, and so you know, and we see like his workshop. We see Amanda even has a little Harry Potter bunk, uh, which is real fun. Uh, and and then this. And so we know that this is also uh, where Jeff's game is happening. Like he, he, and which, uh, you know, uh, John usually wouldn't have people at the at HQ, but like, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do. But this thing is huge because it's where he's doing all of his stuff. So yeah, we got like the spray would be like a, what, like a, a wash or a frozen room. Again, is this another meat factory? Does he have two meat factories? Because then we know that the, the pig vat, trap is also in this giant structure so uh again this weird industrial neighborhood that uh that john has bought in the corner of uh wherever that he has made saw city is just fascinating devon you also have a note here about how much you like the shotgun collar saying you like it more than the reverse bear trap it it's wicked cool i will say this like it is very very cool it does seem like a bit of overkill. It feels like one or two it bullets is. would do the trick just fine. Well, that's exactly why I love it. It's extra for the sake of it because this is an Amanda trap. And, uh, you know, with Amanda's traps, that's an interesting thing that we get introduced in this one is um, that um, uh, that her traps are like, you know, either unbeatable or you know or they are just like extra like you said like this is overkill it doesn't need to have you know eight shotgun things on it but amanda wants to look like john she wants to you know uh and she's like so proud of it when she entered when she's talking about she's like i designed it i built it and like she is like so jazzed like it's maybe the happiest that we see amanda in the entire movie is her talking about the Mm -hmm. shotgun collar and how proud of it she is um it's it's kind of cute uh um so so yeah so I, I I don't know it's just a, a really cool visual of like you know these like shotguns without an actual gun attached and just a uh, uh, the visual look of it uh, being attached to John's uh, heart rate which you like kind of forget about until the twists start coming in in the third uh, mm-hmm. in the third act and then it's like you know and then that's when you connect whenever he's like because John keeps saying hey we're all connected here. If you like, and like, and that's like kind of, you know, one of the links in like, you know, the, the chain of events that happen that, you know, eventually lead to John's demise. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, it all connects in a very interesting way. So yeah, I just, I, I like the shot. I have to imagine it affects Lynn's peripheral vision and also just like her dexterity. Like you're trying to do surgery and you have this, like, it must be pretty heavy. Like mm. it's a solid 10 pounds of nothing. And it's right on your shoulders and neck and kind of in your eye line when you're looking to cut into a man's skull. So not the best thought out in terms of like, hey, if we need, I guess who is thinking like we're going to need impromptu brain surgery at home. So, you know, maybe you didn't figure that out. But I got to imagine that does up the degree of difficulty that much more. Yeah. And also speaking as someone with very long hair, when I when I first saw it and every time I do see it I thought like this is before we get into the surgery and having John's brain o- skull opened and his brain passing so I was just tie your fucking hair back Lynn like what if like you know it gets caught up in mm-hmm. one of the like the releases around the oh. bullets or, I mean it looks she, she looks great in it with her hair down I was thinking oh my god like I was just kept waiting for something to happen like a hair to get caught in something or well and you know that she's very much like 
demanding when it comes to like certain equipments or being like, I can't do this without <laughs> this and I need this, but she's not like, also PPE would be mm. great. What about a mask? <laughs> yeah. So I'm not getting like viscera on my face mm -hmm. as I'm like sawing flaps into this guy's skull. Um, like, I don't know. She's the worst. <laughs> what is, I can understand your anti- so Jeff is your Franklin, basically. Like he is your Frank. Like, you know, he is. I I can't talk about that. Um, okay. No, but, but yeah, he's terrible. What makes Lynn so bad? I just, I I feel like she's just there. Like she's not really trying to like do anything she's not trying to assess a situation at all and trying to figure out like what what's my next move how do i get from point a to point b she has no goal objective um in mind and she's also incredibly like with jeff i think we get to see a bit of an arc he's annoying as hell but at least we get to see some kind of fucking journey a very mm -hmm. slow a journey through trodden. a warehouse. Yeah, we but we see a journey. We see a slow trodden journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, she does nothing. She's like, oh, I can't. I need this, and then she does it. <laughs> and I just she annoys me so much. I don't. The only moment that I actually do, unfortunately, really like start to connect with her is at the very end like she kind of comes to life for me a little bit and i can start to see reactions in her wanting to mm -hmm. to figure out like how do i like what do i do now how do i like doing this can get me here but is it going to get me like how what's going on what's there's something bigger at play here and she just never seems to make uh those connections where i think everyone else that jigsaw brings in to kind of play at some point there's that click in their head where they realize that they're part of something a little bit bigger than what's happening right in front of them and she never really seems to step out side of that and it's very annoying that she that that's like exactly yes. why I love her though, because like she doesn't humor John. Like she's like, I don't care for your game. Like I'm not a character in your movie. Like I should not. Like yeah, like I'm I'm cheating on my husband and that sucks. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a cold doctor, and and I don't have good bedside manner. I get it, but like, do I really deserve to be like put in this scenario? She's like, I don't care for all this. She's like. She's like, looks at John and Amanda with their drama. She's like, I don't want to be in the room for this. This is like when you're at a at a family function and two people are fighting and you're just like, uh, should I go? And they're like, no, you stay. And it's like, ah, damn it. Like that. that's that's Lynn for me in this entire she's movie. She's Dante in and I love she's, that. I'm not even supposed to be here today. She's an like is she and I love that. Like she's in life or death situation. She's like sassing John back. Like the only person to really truly like sass John back, and I and he he even appreciates yeah. it. Like he even like giggles a few times whenever she's like getting him. He's like, oh yeah yeah, you get you got a point there. Like so no. like, uh, I don't know. I I, I kind of love her attitude and like uh, being a foil uh, between John and Amanda. And uh, I the only thing is I wish that she kind of would have caught on 
to like kind of emotionally pit John and Amanda yes. against each other to like help herself in the situation. I think she could have uh, definitely done something in that way. But besides that, though, uh, I'm a, I'm yeah, a big fan of Ariel. What say you, Ariel? I like Lynn. Um, I something that I think isn't that I noticed about her character is twice in the movie she asks someone in a really exasperated way, "What do you want from me?" And she seems like someone who her life is just happening to right now. Um, she doesn't seem like an active participant in her own life. She's just kind of floating through, um, which is part of the reason Jigsaw picks her. And, like, that's not a good way to be, but, you know, everybody goes through hard times and things like that. So, you know, she's kind of going through it. Um, and she's like, okay, I'm in this situation. Brain surgery is what we got to do. Like, she never wavers with Amanda. She's like, he needs to go to a hospital. He needs to go to a hospital. And Amanda's like, we're not doing that. And she's like, well, then I can't do anything. And so then Amanda's like, I'll go get you the stuff you need. What do you need? She's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. So, you know, she's not like the um, most active of all of Jigsaw's victims, but she just like, she sticks to her she she like sticks to herself and trusts herself as a doctor and everything else in her life is just happening to her so i think she's really interesting yeah i'm team lynn i'm team lynn i inter she doesn't really have a lot of options like if she wanders off she's like a bluetooth device on her if she wanders more than 30 feet the device is going to be triggered if jigsaw dies the device is going to be triggered if she kills amanda like jigsaw will trigger the device so she doesn't have a lot of options her best option is like they've told me that if i he's told me that if i just do what he says and save him i'll be able to get free so i'm just going to try to get through this at the moment and i do want to point out once again jigsaw is targeting persons with mental illness yes. in order to play his little games like her you know what it is important to say that it's not jigsaw in this one that everybody that is playing this game with the exception of Amanda, wasn't chosen to play this game by Jigsaw. They were chosen by Amanda. She has chosen all the participants in this game. She's chosen who's going to play, and she's chosen how they're going to play. Mm, so he it's... chose Dr. Lin. Mm. Because, uh, there, well, there's a scene... Yeah, because okay. there's even a line whenever they say, oh, you chose her because she's yeah. the best. And he's yeah. like, yeah, that's part okay. of the reason. Because he, because she's also a, a big, she's like the key middle piece in like, again, like the, the chain of events sure. that ends up happening with like being, you know, his health connected to her, which. Hit, but it uh, is Amanda's. Know, whenever Jeff has. It is Amanda's game and she's yeah. choosing how, how they are coming about it. Like she's choosing what Amanda is. Like she said, I designed this trap. She's designed to, like, what is going to be put on her. She's choosing to put her in a trap to begin with. And then she's choosing to not let her go once Lynn has fulfilled her end of the bargain. But so you got to remember... Really... Sorry. Um, sorry, sorry. Okay, go no, go ahead. Um, but you got to remember that um, Jigsaw engineered that whole scheme to have Lynn be the doctor. Because I think um, the thing to remember about Lynn, uh, this is just from my perspective, is that... 
she's not there to learn her own lesson the way that right. a subject is to like for example well jeff like she's not there like jeff is to learn a lesson she's there to be a part of someone else's trap right and to be well, but that and to be the tool that right. amanda is meant to learn her lesson by and fails yeah and but, i have a note on that well, because it, he yeah. does give her like there's like oh you've gone through your whole life uh you're going you have all these advantages a doctor you're a doctor you have a husband you have a family and yet you choose to throw it all away on antidepressants i think that's just part of john's general shittiness towards mental illness and also i think that was meant to be a bit of a false flag for amanda it's it's really a cover yeah it's really a cover it's like no like john you didn't pick her because you think that she is depressed and she needs to be punished for that. She needs to be punished because like she needs antidepressants, which if you need them, you need them. Yeah. You but know? it's like the, the worst. I don't think he believes that. I don't think he was said. I don't think his intent was like, for him to be punished. Mm. Sure. But he's doing it because she's all, really all his... good at her job yeah. and she needs a doctor and he was out of his oh, network because yeah. he has a shitty healthcare plan. Mm. So he just kind of abducted one and put her in a shotgun trap. Yeah, but if he can well, dunk well, on, he has to keep yeah. up the performance, though, you know, because like, uh, yeah, like he needs the doctor, but he also like has to continue his like classic <laughs> pettiness uh, to her. Like the whole movie is just like, ah, you're a bad mom. Mm-hmm. Ah, you you're you're so cold. Ah, you don't look at people when you talk to them. You swallow down antidepressants instead of facing your problems. Yeah, like, why are you giving me this grad school jargon? I'm sorry, John. Where is your medical degree from? So, but John. Like, very much I, I think it's in research type of guy I, I i think it's interesting in this one too that like to like keep up uh, my, my cooking analogy from the last episode that like uh he gave amanda a recipe mm-hmm. and she like you know execute this one it's like yeah. okay he gives her the chance to make her own dish but he knows that she's gonna fail yeah. so like this is the person that like hey yeah i'll make you i'll let you make your own dish but then like once mm-hmm. their dish like you know something gets burnt mm-hmm. or something he's like oh yeah i have one ready yeah. already like yeah. that's him like coming over the top like with the overarching plan again because he like he, he he's like i want you to su- su- succeed amanda i want you to succeed jeff but like i'm pretty yeah. sure everybody's gonna fail so like he he kind of gets his he gets his cake and eats it too because he's like, if everyone passes, then he's like, cool. Everyone <laughs> learned a lesson. I win. And then he's like, if everyone fails, oh no, you didn't learn your lesson. I was right. I win. Well, and I think <laughs> with that, John is an engineer. Like he has the training and the skill sets to build the traps. He, like, this is the downfall. Going back to a cooking analogy, this is some fucking top-tier chef giving you a recipe on mac and cheese that is using, like, cheese that you make from cows from some fucking country that you will spend thousands to go to and you have to, like, hug the cow five times before you milk it and then you make it, um, like... He's the instructions and the intent are there, but he's a piss poor teacher. And we never have to lose sight of that because we are constantly reminded with everyone that he takes in, he's very bad at this. And that's okay. 
because that's really at the end of the day, as long as there's a body count and he's not dying alone, he's okay. He's mm -hmm. like, I'm chill. So I, I don't know. I, with Lynn, I do like the sass that she brings. She does have some, some good clips and I'm not saying that. I just find her very aggravating and I, you nailed it, Devon. Like, if she would have earlier on found a way to pit these very volatile people against each other and kind of manipulated that a little bit to her gain, that would have been 80 times more interesting dynamic. And I would have been much more team Lynn in so, that because that's someone who has a little bit more of a grasp of the greater situation and a little like to me just feels more in the keeping of having that self-preserve like self-preserving objective but i feel like she does pit them against each other just by existing and being a woman because you know, let's talk about the dynamic between amanda and lynn a little bit because we I think there is like a father-daughter type of relationship between Jigsaw and Amanda. Like there's nothing romantic or untoward in their relationship whatsoever. But Amanda plays the role of the child who has the love of their parent, but never the approval and acceptance of their parent. Like Amanda is never going to be good enough and gain the respect and admiration of Jigsaw. And she knows it. Like nothing she ever does is going to be good enough. And then you introduce Lynn into this mix, who is a doctor, who can take charge in a situation. I think it's very telling that in the two situations where John essentially flatlines, um, Amanda basically freezes. When you talk about you know fight, flight, or freeze, Amanda freezes up. And I think Shawnee Smith does a great job of selling it in that moment. So she's also embarrassed. She's been humiliated in some ways by Lynn as well, because like she's caretaking for Jigsaw and she can't do it in that moment. Somebody else had to step in. So it almost becomes like a stepmother to a man. Like the stepmother comes into the picture and you immediately <laughs> don't like her and you hate her. And I can't believe I'm going down this rabbit hole for Saw fucking three. Yes. Um, we got it. We really Am did. I wrong? Folks. Like, Ariel, what do you think? Like, do you think that that, is the relationship between Lynn and Amanda? Um, I never thought of it as a stepmother type relationship. Um, but I think Amanda, her position is so interesting in this movie because she wants John to survive, but she keeps getting in Lynn's way. And I also am a person who like might freeze up in that situation. And so I get how it happens and she's standing there feeling helpless as the person she loves is, is dying and she can't mm -hmm. imagine what she'll do next. Um, I think John putting Amanda through this test is one of the worst things. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's one of the worst things he does, right? Cause he kills a bunch of people, but like in, in the, in the universe of like how he treats other people, I think he really wrongs Amanda quite a bit by testing her without her knowledge um i think he knew that she would fail i think he planned for that and he did not care if she lived or died um 
And I think that that is is really wrong of him. So I think Amanda's mm-hmm. arc is super tragic. Um, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. The whole thing is like, you know, he he's been under the guise that like, you know, he's saving Amanda. He's helping her transform. And he's like, you're going to take over my legacy. And but then like, you know, again, like him putting Amanda through the test again shows that like he was like, ah, I still have to do because you've you've messed up a couple times. So I got to put you through one more test. And that's like a, a typical manipulator, like kind of uh, behavior of, you know, being like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, still one more. It's like uh, whenever a vampire like uh, teases their familiar, like, oh, yeah, no, I'll turn you. I promise. Uh, but you got to do uh, you got to do one more thing for me, you know, and that's kind of the same energy. Yeah he's giving and he's manipulating her like knowing that like you know like she's in it like she needs she needs actual help she doesn't need your help john like she needs actual help and uh so it's like it's very evil of him to like kind of you know manipulate that and uh even though like you know he he claims that like he's like yeah she's the closest i've had to like a connection uh to someone that like but he says he says uh, connection to, and you almost think he's going to be like, you know, like, oh, connection to a daughter. And he goes, connection to somebody that understands my mm-hmm. thinking. And it's like, Jesus, John, like, you know, it, it all comes back around yeah. to him. You know, he uh, is a, a real classic narcissist for sure. And uh, and Amanda's dynamic, you know, with uh, with Lynn is, yeah, very interesting in that way of like kind of uh, this, uh, this jealousy of, you know, seeing, uh, you know, someone take care of him the way that she's trying to. And then uh, she's, you know, also still trying to, you know, make sure this game uh, goes off properly. But um, this is also an interesting uh, point, too, because as uh, we uh, described um, this as a quote unquote father daughter uh, uh, love story, quote unquote, that that got me thinking. I was like, oh, we haven't talked uh, Tumblr fan fiction for the Saw universe because, oh, boy, it's wild. Uh, I'll send some to the to the group slack later. Because uh, the two things that came up, we have um, yeah, th- there was an Amanda laying, there was Amanda laying on Jigsaw, and it was like, mm, nope. But then there's also Lynn and Amanda shit. I think you killed Mike uh, of them flirting. I think we finally oh, lost him. Success. He wanted the madness of this series. You you wanted the madness of this series. It's it's there on Tumblr. There was some for wild you, uh, stuff. They're, 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 it's wild. <laughs> wild oh my god <laughs> you're welcome minute. you're welcome <laughs> oh yeah there's 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 uh there's there's all sorts of ships they in there. Slash we, got, we got all those. the uh yeah. there, there's uh adam yeah. and gordon from the first one there's plenty of that going on uh oh. all, all the different ships going on in here. Sorry, oh my Mike. god that was the best <laughs> why we do this oh my god <sighs> I'm not even sure where we left off or like where to pick back know. up. Okay, um, um, okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was about um, it was about Amanda. Um, I... uh, another thing, like, um, just that um, you, you, you guys have covered it all, but just the only other thing that I'll add is that one, her look was amazing in this film, apart from the flashbacks. Yes. With the, apart from the oh, flashback yeah. with the hilarious short wig, that was great. But um, also, her acting <laughs> was amazing, mm-hmm. and like. Um, <laughs> Generally speaking, the saw act, the, the, the saw movie acting is quite good, but she was just so good. And like, um, at this point, like, I did, I, I just kind of knew her as like, you know, the secretary from Becca, but mm-hmm. pretty much. But yeah, she was. Yeah. But yeah, her acting, like, I... um, um, the scene where she goes off to the room where she want, where, where she goes to self harm, 
I don't know how long or short that is in the various cuts we've seen. Like, um, I don't think the Saw franchise is maybe sort of deep or thinking enough to address those kinds of issues. No. But, th- but her performance was very good of that scene. I think Amanda's arc lays bare the moral rot and the fatal flaw of John's whole plan. Mm -hmm. Because this is his only victory in any of the first three movies. His only, like, proven test case. Like, this is what will happen if you survive the game. You will come out changed. And if Amanda has come out changed, she's actually come out worse. Yes. Because what he's done is he's taken all of that anger and rage that maybe was under the surface, and now she's externalizing it, and she's turning it on others. And it's fascinating to me that, like, what John is calling redemption, like this redemption through suffering that I went on and on about in the first episode she's corrupted that and she says there's no redemption there is only suffering that these are persons that need to be punished and that's why her games are all unwinnable and i think um devon you have a note in here with detective Kerry that even like with the first video message like the first recording with billy she knows like something is off because like the recording is essentially like you're being you're being tested because you're too good at your job in essence like you spend too much time at work yeah like it was like she like this is like you know i guess like maybe amanda wrote this one and recorded it through a john voice modulator who knows how this goes down in saw hq but um but you can tell that this was a one that like was not you know by john like because like the the message behind yeah just kind of didn't make sense in the way that she was describing it and then they also you know call this out with um that classroom scene um you know carrie is the one that like notices like oh this couldn't have been you know jigsaw because like the the door was you know welded shut he wasn't gonna get out anyways and that trap was also you know pretty much unwinnable um you know so you can tell um again like you know she's she thinks you know that she has the idea behind you know what john's trying to do with his statements but she like doesn't quite you know she she's um, and that's, you know, the message he has at the end. He's like, if you failed this, it's because you're out mm-hmm. to punish. You're not out, you know, you're not like me trying to change people again. Yeah. You know, John being a hypocrite, but, you know, uh, uh, judging someone else's murder tactics, <laughs> LOL. Um, you know, so, and so that's a, it, it's an interesting thing. So, yeah, when we see uh, Carrie's death, like, you know, like, this it, is bullshit. Like, you know, she didn't even have enough time, like the acid, like, and then, like, she even gets the key. She succeeds and then, like, you know, still is uh, mm-hmm. punished for it because, like, again, she, uh, Amanda just uh, doesn't yeah. quite get it. She thinks she gets it, but she doesn't yeah. quite get it, you know? Um, so it's interesting. It's not that she get doesn't get it. It's that she doesn't. <laughs> it's not what she wants to do. Like John hasn't changed her. And she says, I don't, I'm not fixed. I'm still broken. Like you said, you fix me, actually fix me. And doing these passive aggressive games where he's like showering Lynn with attention and sending again, to use the father daughter comparison. There are multiple times where 
John sends Amanda out of the room without her supper, essentially. Like, get out, you're dismissed, you're not needed here. Knowing the kind of relationship they have and, like, having the understanding that she has, like, a severe attachment issues to him, that what he's doing is just pushing her further and pushing her further and pushing her further and then expressing his disappointment in her when she's unable to win her game. It's like you can only push someone so far. Um, so it's it's really like Amanda's failure lays barren, like the rot at the center of everything about John. Ariel, Nicole, what say you? We've, I've been hogging it here, so I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's uh, the way that John interacts with Amanda and in kind of in contrast to Lynn, you know, Amanda kind of has his love. That's kind of like his kid, his petulant child. Um, but Lynn has his respect and he, I think, needs her in a very tangible way where Amanda needs him and so yeah and I think this is also again you know a film that really underscores the failings of John's teachings of his disciples they're they're not better off they're not healed they're not uh, they don't go through redemption and kind of a resurrection as he states they're still very very much um, in a really bad way and are given no tools to actually do any real healing through it. It's, you know, take your pain, take your issues and just put it over here and inflict it on someone else because that's going to make you feel better in time. And soon you can kind of manipulate your brain to create ways to rationalize and idealize this. So it's one of, the, I think, the relationship between Amanda and John is really obviously the emotional core of this film, but I think <laughs> makes it, I think, a standout of the franchise, but almost is kind of like what makes some of the future entries fall a little bit short because we don't see this kind of there's there I don't feel like there's a relationship that comes close to this yeah agree that's because there isn't there's maybe something again to keep spoilers vague maybe something that's sort of resonant or similar to like squabbling siblings but not this kind of relationship yeah. no Mm -hmm. Well, and I do think it's also interesting because here you have Jigsaw with these two women that he's trying to to work with. And then you have Jeff who has two children mm -hmm. and one has kind of sucked away his emotion, his emotional capacities. And then there's this other child over here who's suffering and who is in harm's way because he can't see uh you know the forest through the trees and that's very much i think uh, a mirrored situation between mm -hmm. um 
Jeff and and Jigs. Do you shorten his name to Jigs? Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, Papa Jigs. <laughs> yeah, I can't really add anything to that. I think um, their relationship is, there's a lot to it. Ariel, what do you think of Amanda's choice when she goes back to check on Adam? To mm-hmm. would you call that a mercy killing? Because she that it's the one killing where she maybe seems distraught. What do you think is going into her thought process during those moments? I think that um, as a survivor of the traps, and she knows it didn't fix her. I think she thinks she's trying to save other people from ending up like her of like, Oh no, if you survive the trap, your life will be worse here. Let me kill you. So you don't have to have that happen. I do. Mm. I don't agree with her. I think like she could have and should have saved Adam. Like that would be the objectively right thing to do. But then number one, (laughs) does she have to share Jigsaw's attention with another trap survivor? I'm sure she doesn't want to do that. And number Mm -hmm. two, you know, she tells, I don't remember the exact thing she tells him when she's killing him, but she essentially says, like, no, I'm doing you a favor. Um, so I think that is a part of what we were talking about before, where Amanda is certainly not better off and she's taking her pain out on other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that with, um, you know, that, you know, she she that that is such a representation of like her difference in the you know way that she views the whole thing and and uh the way that she views like you know survivors and like if you like come out fixed and like because she also like talks about with uh with detective matthews and when she like you know goes back to uh whenever you know go back and then she sees him and then fucks him up in the tunnel and um you know because again like later on she's like well yeah matthews isn't the same either you didn't Mm -hmm. fix him either as soon as he made it out of the room he just started you know wailing on me so it's like she she uh used that as an example but i also do love that this scene has um maybe my favorite donnie Wahlberg moment of the entire series when she's uh walking away and he goes you're not jigsaw bitch and it, it and that triggers her of her you know like being called out that like oh wait you, you really mm-hmm. think I'm not the worthy successor you know uh, but uh, that 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 scream is just hilarious you have a hobbled foot and that's that's what you're yeah. gonna go out on is just yeah. hilarious to me. I think it's such a telling thing about Eric Matthews' character that he chooses to smash his foot instead of cut it off. Because he is such a brute force person. He's not a precise person. He punches his way around the world until things are the way he wants. So I think it's a tiny little thing about his character. Uh, but I think him smashing up his foot makes a bunch of sense. Um, I don't know what this says about me then. But I've thought since I saw the first one, I would try to break my foot first before I tried to saw through it. I mean, both are bad. But I think if I was able to find a loose stone or something in the hell bathroom Mm -hmm. that's what i try to do yeah Yeah, i would saw it off because then i think it's easier to like i'd be worried about bleeding out i would just die (laughs) sorry we're we're talking maybe i I would just sit there and die so yeah (laughs) i'm adam i'd be like i've had a good run i've had a good run (laughs) ariel you have a note here when you're talking about amanda and her arc that says Think about building a house, then one battering ram, one swing, and boom, it's gone. Yes. Can you kind of 
kind of espouse on that yes so um in the on the special features for the saw three that i have there's um a segment there's like a little mini documentary about amanda called the evolution of a killer and shawnee smith is being interviewed about the character of amanda and one of the things she says is like how much amanda how much work amanda does to build things up and then she chooses to destroy it and so the the quote that she says is um think about building a house one battering ram one swing boom and it's gone and that was shawnee smith comparing um you know the way like all the work amanda did to just bust it all to the ground Mm -hmm. and so i thought that was good i wrote that down yeah I wanted to brief before we talk about the end of the movie. I wanted to agree with Lucy because I made a note here that Amanda's glow up in this movie is fantastic. Like the hair looks amazing. She's pulling like her skin looks great. Like who knew that like murdering people could be so good? It's like better than moisturizing apparently. And she's wearing like a season four Buffy esque esque kind of outfit like like you could go to the bronze immediately after and go watch dingoes ate my baby and fit right in i thought she looked amazing and that tobin bell has the easiest fucking job ever in a movie (laughs) it's like okay all i need you to do is lie in bed and every now and then shawnee smith is going to give you juice and you will be paid $2 million. He does a pretty like, good job in like the bits where he's having his medical crises, I mm-hmm. did feel. Hey, that's that's literally three <laughs> movies that he is either laying down, he's sitting, yeah. he's drinking juice, he's dr- eating yeah. soup. Like, like Jigsaw yeah. is so chill. Because yeah. <laughs> like Jason movies. and Michael, like they put in the miles. Right? Like, they get their steps in in every movie. And Jigsaw is, like, the most sedentary of all of our killers in any movie. He's like, if I have to get out of bed to kill you, it's not even worth it. I don't want to do it. And those killers are not dealing with a terminal illness. They really, that's, well, Jason's a zombie. (laughs) That's not a terminal illness. Technically. He's already dead, though. Oh, yeah, but that, that's, yeah, but that's not a terminal illness. That is he's been the terminal. He that's the terminal of terminal. He's illness. passed he's the gone. terminal illness part. Yeah. He's been terminated. That's one of the it's things that a... made Saw fun for me because it was like mm-hmm. it was a di- it was a different kind of like horror movie villain where he's yeah. like you know pulling the strings rather than yeah. walking everywhere slowly with mm-hmm. a sharp object or yeah. being like a supernatural. I will say the surgery scene is like the one moment that I got squeamish. Like it was like the pig, the blade going into the skull and all of it really. And the smoke coming off from the heat. Yeah. The the noises, the like, you're going to want to like close your mouth right now. And and I thought about that. I'm like, oh, because you might get pits of your skull in your teeth later Mm -hmm. on. Like that is, (laughs) and it was so graphic. Um, I read an interview with with Bousman that he did with IGN just before the release of the movie. And he talked about it being like another test for Amanda. It was part of the game, like showing like this is how much life is worth clinging to 
even if there's a 1% chance of survival, you have to take it. And therefore you need to give your victims like potential victims, some sort of out. I don't necessarily buy that. I just think that it's like, it would be really cool to do brain surgery in one of these movies. And then we'll reverse engineer some metaphor for it (laughs) later on. But what say y'all? I I mean, and it, and and but it works out so mm-hmm. perfect. Like again, like I love this as the 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 medical drama mm-hmm. thriller of the of the series. And like <laughs> and I mean, uh, again, like you know, this is uh, with you saying that like this is also a test. It's also you know another demonstration of him being like, hey, I might be dying, but like I, I I'm still down mm-hmm. for the cause. Like he takes the brain surgery like yeah. a champ. Like he he makes a couple noises, mm-hmm. but like that's about it. He, you know he 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 yeah. takes it and and which is fun too because it's also like you know finally getting to see him get tortured <laughs> a little bit and it's like uh, see a, a nice little reversal as well. So uh, the, I think uh, it's a it's a very satisfying scene and uh, you know and again like Lynn she had to step mm-hmm. up and she stepped up mm-hmm. she did her thing you know in the circumstances. So again she's not the stepmom she's the mom who stepped up. <laughs> Love it. That's yes. In my note taking this time around, I think uh, for all of that, I, my, my note was just what if saw but Grey's Anatomy. Oh, man. Can you, if this was in your Netflix queue, like, honestly, you would watch, like, if you liked Grey's Anatomy, if you liked ER with George Clooney, you might like Saw 3 and somebody <laughs> like that's what the algorithm would say. Um, let's talk the end. And Nicole, I made a note on something you had said like earlier, how this felt like an endpoint. Like it felt like this is supposed to be a trilogy. And I think that supported, even with the montage at the end, it doesn't just feed back into this movie. It goes all the way back to the first film and feeds mm-hmm. you like three films. I also felt like this should have been the end point or could have what it was meant to be the end point of the series. Do you feel like that's what they intended going into this? And then how much do you think they came to regret the decision they made to kill both Jigsaw and Amanda at the end of this? I don't think that they, I, I mean, the trilogy structure was tried and true. Mm-hmm. And even if a franchise extends beyond, extends beyond a trilogy, we work in trilogies, Right. There are lots of different franchises that do this. Well, this is one trilogy within the franchise, and we have this story and this story. They break them up. So I I would assume, given how popular and lucrative these films were, that, yeah, it's silly to put a true stop to it but I was really interested in what is the legacy piece because that's where the stories continue. Mm-hmm. What's the legacy? Um, I don't think that they regretted necessarily killing off, killing off Jigsaw because there's so much movement even within that. It's horror. No one stays dead. Um, no one has to stay dead. We reanimate in a thousand different ways. So, no, um, I don't think that they necessarily felt like they were boxed in a corner. I think that it just made them then have to figure out which avenues made any kind of sense. Like Mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier, paranormal, supernatural, that would never work. 
because this is uh, not to go with the trope of oh it's so realistic and gritty real hardcore it's not necessarily but i mean this is rooted in these are things happening in real life to real people bodies being twisted um and mangled and things like that so you can't have ghost jigsaw popping around that just doesn't that's that i think that's too far away so i think that it they probably were like oh i bet we i bet we could have got maybe one or two more films kind of packed in Mm -hmm. and that would have been nice but now we have to figure out what are ways to continue the story and i think as we talk through some of the sequels down the line i think some of those uh show a lot of creativity and how they weave in narratives and others others just are are not but yeah this is Mm -hmm. to me this definitely felt like a hard stop in a particular story the story of amanda and john yeah i had mentioned earlier that like it kind of functions uh, a little bit of both in a way that like it it feels like the nice hard stop but you know it also like uh, you know not to spoil the next film but like um you know it still makes sense in in the way that the, the that the series goes and i think that you know that they always intended to kill john because to kind of still lean more into the like it's not about the person it's about like Mm -hmm. kind of the mantle uh which i appreciate like i feel like really uh like really only jigsaw and like scream does that where like the the it's you know about the legacy about the mantle not the person behind it so so i don't think there was any uh regrets in doing it i think uh as the series goes on they will regret the hoops that they jump through to try to keep him included uh is i think so it's like i don't think they regretted it in this one i think this was this feels like it was always the plan but then later on they kind of mess with some of their own continuity because they like are so hell-bent on like we gotta get john in here somehow you know so uh we'll see how that you know plays out in uh the later entries okay um yeah yeah this was definitely the one i think where we see the start of the continuity mess that the franchise sometimes gets into in the future but yeah like i said before to me like i think like i say when i saw it i knew there was going to be another one so it didn't feel like an end to Mm -hmm. anything for me then at all i was just i was just thinking well what are they going to do for the next one because he's dead will it be like all set in the past will it be lots of flashbacks because this was also the one that messed with flashbacks the most i especially like at the end where the flashback montage includes flashbacks to things we saw like literally 90 seconds ago so i knew they were going to do something (laughs) it's trezo but um yeah so i knew they were going to do something like that i just had no idea what because yeah like nicole said it was pretty obvious they're not going to try to go supernatural or some or that kind of nonsense so i was just like yeah i definitely know there's going to be a next one but just not sure how jigsaw so yeah mm-hmm. imagine if this was the last one and it just ended with a little girl locked up gonna die alone <laughs> like John. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> if if that had been the ending that would be really outside jigsaw's character i think um i mean maybe maybe not like if 
if Amanda's the test subject, like we talked about in the second episode, he has a singular focus on whoever he's testing and the other people who die around the edges aren't as much of a concern. But Zepp was going to shoot Dr. Gordon's kid in the head in the first movie. Yes. And, and he did keep a kid locked in a safe in the second movie. Yes. But both of those had uh, chances, like adults who could come for them, you know? Like, if the third movie is the end of the franchise, that's it. That little girl is dying in a box. So um, I think that would have been pretty shocking to see at the time if you weren't sure another one was coming out or not. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. I I get, I think I get what Nicole's you're saying when you're like, well, they kind of like told the story they wanted to. They didn't regret killing them off from that standpoint. I think once they see like $165 million roll in, and then to your point, like the hoops they have to jump through when you get to like five and six and seven. I think what they do is really clever with part four. Like Bousman left himself a couple really nice outs. Like you, they introduce Hoffman and no spoilers, but... I looked at that guy and I'm like, he's shady. Like he gives one look in the movie and all they need in the ad was like, dun, dun, dun movie music over him. You're like, that guy looks shady. And then when Jigsaw swallows the tape, uh, once you get past part four, which I think they handle in a really clever way, there are some hoops to jump through. And I think they're immediately like, they're really straining to include Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith in these because they know as much as like, like you're right. Scream is about the legacy of Ghostface. It doesn't necessarily matter who's under the mask. Bring back Stu for part seven. Um, oh, yeah. Do not. Do it, not. Jake, the Saw movies, it does matter. I think the movies are like immediately less interesting when it's not Jigsaw anymore because I don't know. Like, there's a, the panache isn't there. The flair for, I think a lot of that flair is gone uh, when it comes to the latter entries, and it's kind of why I like Spiral more than some of the other later entries mm. in the series. I'm gonna have a lot hate to add as we continue yeah. on on that note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in future episodes, I think we've hit it. I think we've covered this movie to a degree I didn't think possible. I learned some things that I didn't know about, and I'm so glad I do know these things now. I will definitely have some late night reading to do. So before we go, let's let everyone know where they can find us if they'd like to follow us. And Lucy, do you want to give your socials? Uh, yes. Yeah, sure. Right, um, also, can I just um, can oh, I just yeah, have course. one final thought? And if this doesn't, I'm not going to say the, no. no. If this doesn't fit into the no. final, if this doesn't fit into the final edit, that's absolutely fine. You can totally, but, you can totally have a final. But it's always been sort of, uh, um, and it's relevant to this one, I guess, because there literally is a trap with a literal naked lady that we see mm -hmm. for a while before she gets covered in ice. But one thing that I personally have always liked about the Saw franchise is that with a couple of exceptions, which you'll get into, I'm sure, on those later films, it's been a horror franchise that has always felt, firstly, very ethnically diverse in its casting, mm -hmm. and race has never come into like the characters who are not white. 
And also I think it's, like I say, generally with a few exceptions coming up, done a very good job with having sort of equal opportunity like violence when it comes to gender, like the traps, um, it treats women and men with equal brutality, Mm -hmm. but the um, violence and the murders done towards the women, it feels mostly, and up to this point consistently even with the naked lady it's never felt like it's meant to be titillating it's never been Mm -hmm. framed in a way that it's felt we're meant to be sexualizing the violence or the women themselves and that's just something that obviously as a woman who's into horror i've always appreciated all right lucy well where can our listeners uh follow you on the socials um if they want to follow me it won't won't be much use except for to see my bad takes on video games and horror films but at miss lucy 552 on what i still refer to twitter it doesn't feel right referring to it as x i'm still not used to that but (laughs) that's excellent and we'll have you back on for saw six right yes Excellent, excellent. Devon, what's going on with the Spectre Cinema Film Club? Yeah, over on uh, Spectre Cinema Club, uh, me and Garrett are um, we're in the midst of going through some South Korean horror films uh, for Bong Joon-ho's birthday, so that's a really good time. And then uh, we'll be doing uh, some death game-related, uh, uh, some non-Saw death game-related stuff in September. So, uh, you know, continuing on the, the energy we're bringing here, we'll be doing some of that over there. So... Uh, excited for that uh, but yeah you can find me on all social media platforms at underscore daddy disco and you can find specter cinema club on all platforms at specter cinema excellent nicole how about yourself they're still cooking over at bodies of horror um just did an episode on the taking of deborah logan with mary beth mcandrews and really incredible conversation um, really seem like a, a great kind of connect to bring someone who is really a master of all things found footage to talk about something that deals, you know, with uh, aging, that intersection of aging and disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, just doing that over there. Um, you can find me. Yeah, I still uh, struggle with what to call Twitter. I call it Twixt. I'm on Twixt um, at Bodies Horror, also over at the Placer of Bluer Skies um, as Bodies of Horror. I check it a lot less. I need to get more into the habit of like going there and and doing stuff there um, because I do like it. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And I basically just post about upcoming episodes and give other folks shout outs. Got it. Ariel, what's going on with ghouls? Yes, we are still um, wrapping up our Fright Fest coverage. And as we're going into September, the theme is slashers. So for all you slasher lovers out there, keep an eye on that. Ghoulsmagazine.com. And you can follow on all the socials, Ghouls Mag or Ghouls Magazine, just kind of depending. You can search it. You'll find it. Um, And if you're looking for me, you can find me hiding in your closet with a pig mask on or you can find me across all socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser. Do you have a preference of how people would find you? The pig mask or the socials? Um, you know, dealer's choice. Okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Folks, you can find me in Blueski at Mike Snoonian. You can find me on Instagram at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can find me at Letterbox at Mike Chump Change. 
Go ahead, if you are enjoying what you are listening today and you want more of us, consider becoming a patron of the show. Go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum where we have a lot of bonus content up there and always looking to add more of it. It does go a long way to help pay for the hosting of the site, the hosting of the recording, to pay for things like research materials and books and movies. Um, It goes a long way to help us do that. We know money can be tight, um, but if you've enjoyed listening to us for nearly two and a half hours, and I will promise you, and there aren't a lot of Saw 3 episodes out there, there are none that went down some of the rabbit holes that we did. Like There are absolutely none, for better or for worse. If you're listening this far, I think you're enjoying what we're doing. So go to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a patron today. Um, you might get you to can't. be on the podcast like me. You might. No promises. <laughs> Definitely no promises there. Uh, because I don't think everybody is going to be as great of a guest as Lucy, who's been Aww. fantastic and looking forward to having you back on. I've just been so excited to talk to you all. I only have special guests on with accents. That is the thing. That's <laughs> our, that is definitely our, that's our niche, basically. Um, if you uh, can't support the patron right now because of money or whatever uh, a very easy way to support the show that's free and takes two minutes wherever you get your podcast make sure that you rate and review us and subscribe to us that way you'll never miss an episode the ratings and the reviews go a long way towards new listeners finding us we've gotten some great reviews lately we just got one uh, from someone named Kendra who says that she loves the research that we do and that we've become uh, one of her favorite shows to listen to. And Aww, she, thank you, I think Kendra. she said she she thinks I'm probably handsome by my voice. Uh, she did not put that in her review. I just <laughs> needed to boost myself up there a little bit. Um, but no, it's a very easy way to support us. So we'll probably have some more festival coverage this fall as well because Ari you're going to be out at Telluride for Telluride Horror Show along with me next month so we may be chatting about some of the movies out there for some content Hell yeah. and again if we get five of our crew to go out to a festival one day we're ordering matching satin jackets with our logo and names okay we're doing it or, and or boxing robes so we can be like that <laughs> I want the jacket. Okay, fine. Want, we'll get a, the jackets. Gosh. A Lenny and Swiggy style jacket from Laverne. For you, Mike. All right. Okay. We'll be back next week with Saw 4. And my God, by that, we'll be less than two weeks away from the new one coming out. So, dear Lord. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Thank Lucy, you. for jumping on. Devon, Ariel, Nicole, as always, it is always a pleasure chatting with you about these movies listeners thank you for bearing with us go look up some of that slash fic right now i have to stop i have to stop all right goodbye everybody have a great one